Oh, yay. Oh, yay. This is SCOTUS Talk, a nonpartisan podcast about the Supreme Court for lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Brought to you by SCOTUS Blog. This hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee will come to order. The Senate Judiciary Committee hearings for the nomination of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court began on Monday. We will be bringing you coverage each day of the hearings on SCOTUS Blog and SCOTUS Talk. Keep an eye out for an episode on Friday looking back on the hearings as a whole. If you have any questions this week, please email us at scotustalk at scotusblog.com or leave us a voicemail at 202-596-2906. The hearings kicked off on Monday at 11 a.m. On the first day of hearings, senators, all 22 of them, each had 10 minutes to give an opening statement, taking turns by party and in order of seniority. Jackson will not answer questions until the second day. She gave her own opening statement after all the senators had spoken. Senator Dick Durbin, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, began by talking about the historic nature of Jackson's nomination and quoting Abraham Lincoln on the fleeting but important role of service in public office. Judge Jackson, we are all just temporary occupants of the Senate, the House, even with a lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land. You, Judge Jackson, are one of Mr. Lincoln's living witnesses of an America that is unafraid of challenge, willing to risk change, confident of the basic goodness of our citizens, and you are living witness to the fact that in America all is possible. I now recognize my colleague and friend, the ranking member, Senator Grassley. Judge Jackson, congratulations. Welcome to you and your family. Now I want to talk a bit about what everyone watching should expect from this hearing and what they shouldn't expect at the hearing. We will conduct a thorough, exhaustive examination of Judge Jackson's record and views. We won't try to turn this into a spectacle based upon alleged process fouls. Good news on that front, we're off to a very good start. Unlike the start to the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, we didn't have repeated choreographed interruptions of Chairman Durbin during his opening statements, like Democrats interrupted me for more than an hour during my opening statement on the Kavanaugh hearing. I've talked about the troubling role of far-left dark money groups like Demand Justice have played in this administration's judicial selection process. When uh, the de- Demand Justice isn't creating short lists for President Biden to pick judicial nominees from, or putting out new litmus tests, they're running ads, campaign uh, campaigns, attacking the independence of the judiciary. Next is the President Pro Tem of the Senate, Patrick Leahy. Let's make a few things clear. Judge Jackson is no judicial activist. She is not a puppet of the so-called radical left, but we have before us a nominee who's brought us together across party lines before. And one I hope we can bring us back together again. The Senate can change course, return to how we fairly and objectively evaluate nominees. Next is another former chair of the committee and senator from South Carolina, Lindsey Graham. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Again, congratulations. Uh, Well-deserved 
honor here. I have said in the past, and I think it's good for the court to look like America, so count me in on the idea of making the court more diverse. But I also said that didn't get much coverage. I want, I want, the, I want the court to play a particular role in America. Um, so the hearings are going to be challenging for you, informative for the public, and respectful by us. I hope we can meet that. Uh, now, President Biden had a choice here, and he has every right to make it. Elections have consequences. He had many qualified African-American women to choose from. He chose you. Michelle Childs, a district court judge from South Carolina. Senator Lindsey Graham came in fiery, quickly turning to J. Michelle Childs, the federal judge from South Carolina for whom Graham and fellow South Carolinian James Clyburn had lobbied hard. The attacks from the left against Judge Childs was really pretty vicious, to be honest with you. So you say, uh, Judge Jackson, you don't have any judicial philosophy per se. Well, somebody on the left believes you do. So we're going to find out how that statement holds up over time. And Senator Cornyn of Texas. I'm a bit troubled by some of the positions you've taken and arguments that you've made representing people who uh, have committed terrorist acts against the United States and other dangerous criminals. As someone who has deep respect for the adversarial system of justice, I understand the importance of zealous advocacy. But it appears that sometimes this zealous advocacy has gone beyond the pale. I'm also interested, as others have mentioned, in your opinion, why pro-abortion dark money groups like Demand Justice and anti-religious liberty groups are pouring millions of dollars into a public campaign in support of your nomination. Senators John Cornyn and Sheldon Whitehouse gave dueling statements about the role of moneyed interests in the court nomination process. Like Grassley, Cornyn brought up Demand Justice, the liberal group that has campaigned for Jackson's nomination, suggesting that the group's support meant something about Jackson herself. White House countered that it was Republicans, not Democrats, using dark money to make judicial appointments. This is a refreshing moment. We are holding a hearing for an accomplished, experienced, highly qualified nominee to the Supreme Court who came to us not through a dark money funded turnstile, but through a fair and honest selection process. The unpleasant fact is that the present court is the court that dark money built. Anonymous donations funded the Federalist Society while it housed the selection turnstile run by the dark money donors. Anonymous money funded the dark money group down the same hallway as the Federalist Society that ran the dark money political campaigns for the selected justices. And because of all that secrecy, Americans are denied any real understanding of the overlap of all that dark money with the political dark money funding the Republican Party, which could well explain the wreckage of Senate norms, rules, and procedures that accompanied the confirmation process of recent nominees. Judge Jackson's nomination and the process by which she was selected stand in sharp contrast. President Biden undertook a thorough and independent review of her record, and she will proceed through a thorough and fair process here in the Senate. 
We will abide by the new precedents set by Republicans in recent years, but we will not be fabricating new ones. Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Amy Klobuchar painted two very different pictures of what's at stake. Klobuchar focused on the human impact of the court's decisions on liberal values like access to health care and the DREAM Act. Cruz followed her, emphasizing the impact a justice could have on limiting conservative ideas of rights and freedoms. His words about how the court must consider the effect of its actions on people's lives, how it must be able to see the real people at the other end of its rulings, like Americans who are one Supreme Court decision away from losing their health insurance or one court decision away from the ability to make their own health care choices or the dreamers who could lose the only country they've ever known. So this is not about race. It is, however, about issues and substance. The reason the American people care about the Supreme Court is it is integral to protecting or taking away our constitutional rights. When it comes to free speech, this committee should inquire, will you protect the rights of Americans to speak, to say unpopular ideas? Will you protect freedom or restrict it? When it comes to religious liberty, will a justice vote to protect your right to live according to your faith and according to your conscience? The Second Amendment. Will a justice vote to defend your Second Amendment rights to keep and bear arms? Or will a justice roll over to the Democrats that want a disarmed citizenry? The right to life. Will a justice protect the rights of the people, the rights of state legislatures to enact laws protecting innocent life, protecting unborn life, stopping abominations like partial birth abortion? So all of those questions are fair game. Will you follow the law? What does your record indicate? Will you protect the rights of every American citizen, regardless of race, regardless of party, regardless of views? That's what the focus of this hearing should be. Senator Booker of New Jersey. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Forgive me, I grew up in a small black church where I was taught uh, to make a joyous noise unto the Lord. And this is not a normal day for America. We have never had this moment before. And I just want to talk about uh, the joy. I know tomorrow and the coming hearings, we're going to have tough, hard questions. But please, let me just acknowledge the fact that this is not normal. It's, I, I, I just feel this sense of overwhelming joy as I see you sitting there, as I see your family sitting behind you. <clears throat> Senator Blackburn of Tennessee. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Judge Jackson, welcome. I was concerned during our conversation earlier this month when you told me that you really didn't have a judicial philosophy. The American people deserve a Supreme Court justice with a documented commitment to the text of the Constitution and the rule of law, not a judicial activist who will attempt to make policy from the bench. Without a judicial philosophy, a judge is legally adrift and will be inclined to consider policy rather than law. You once wrote that every judge has, and I quote, personal hidden agendas, end quote, then influence how they decide cases. So I can only wonder, what's your hidden agenda? Is it to let violent criminals, cop killers, and child predators back to the streets? Is it your personal hidden agenda to incorporate critical race theory into our legal system? After the senators spoke, Jackson was introduced by Judge Thomas Griffith, a conservative who was appointed by President George W. Bush 
and law professor Lisa Fairfax, who was her roommate at Harvard. Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, I come here today as a retired federal appeals court judge with 15 years of experience on the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. As Justice Scalia taught us so well for so long, an indispensable feature of the republic the Constitution created is an independent judiciary of judges who have taken an oath not to a president or a party, but to the American people and to God that they will be impartial. Judge Katanji Jackson Brown has demonstrated her unwavering commitment to that oath. Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and members of the Senate Judiciary, my name is Lisa Fairfax. I am a presidential professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania School of Law and co-director of its Institute for Law and Economics. Prior to my academic career, I worked at uh, corporate and securities law at a large law firm. But before that, I was roommate and a very dear friend at Harvard College and Harvard Law School of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, who I am so very honored to introduce to you today and to the American people. Katanji and I met during our first days of college nearly 35 years ago. Those first moments when you wonder if you belong, she's the friend that made sure we all did. A woman of deep faith in God and unyielding love for family, Katanji defines friendship. Together, we poured our souls into our studies, graduating college with honors and then doing it all over again when we enrolled and graduated law school with honors. We became sisters and saw each other's families as our own. Our college roommate, Nina Simmons, a top corporate lawyer, has described Katanji's unwavering work ethic. She puts her head down and gets it done, even and perhaps especially when no one is watching. A testament of her character is all the people of different backgrounds and beliefs who understand that essence of Katanji. We've seen that in her endorsements from bipartisan colleagues from the bench and the bar, and from both civil rights leaders and members of law enforcement. And we will see it in the history she will make. It is with tremendous pride, love, and gratitude for her willingness to serve that I introduce to you my dear friend and an exemplar of the best of America's promise, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Please raise your right hand. Do you affirm that the testimony you're about to give before the committee will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Let the record reflect that the judge has answered in the affirmative. And having met that requirement, you may now proceed with your remarks. In her opening statement, Jackson, who was clearly moved by Fairfax's remarks, spoke of her faith and her love for her family. She also expressed appreciation for her professional mentors, particularly Justice Breyer, for whom she clerked. Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Grassley, and distinguished members of the Judiciary Committee, thank you for convening this hearing and for considering my nomination as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. The first of my many blessings is the fact that I was born in this great 
nation. A little over 50 years ago in September of 1970, Congress had enacted two civil rights acts in the decade before, and like so many who had experienced lawful racial segregation firsthand, my parents, Johnny and Ellery Brown, left their hometown of Miami, Florida, and moved to Washington, D.C. to experience new freedom. My parents taught me that unlike the many barriers that they had had to face growing up, my path was clearer so that if I worked hard and I believed in myself in America, I could do anything or be anything I wanted to be. And speaking of unconditional love, I would like to introduce you to my husband of 25 years, Dr. Patrick Jackson. I have no doubt that without him by my side from the very beginning of this incredible professional journey, none of this would have been possible. We met in college more than three decades ago, and since then, he's been the best husband, father, and friend I could ever imagine. Patrick, I love you. I'm saving a special moment in this introduction for my daughters, Talia and Layla. I hope that you've seen that with hard work, determination, and love, it can be done. I am so looking forward to seeing what each of you chooses to do with your amazing lives in this incredible country. I love you so much. It was also my great good fortune to have had the chance to clerk for three brilliant jurists, U.S. District Judge Patty Saris, U.S. Court of Appeals Judge Bruce Selya, and Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. Justice Breyer, in particular, exemplifies what it means to be a Supreme Court Justice of the highest level of skill and integrity, civility, and grace. It is extremely humbling to be considered for Justice Breyer's seat, and I know that I could never fill his shoes. But if confirmed, I would hope to carry on his spirit. Now, in preparing for these hearings, you may have read some of my more than 570 written decisions, and you may have also noticed that my opinions tend to be on the long side. That is because I also believe in transparency, that people should know precisely what I think and the basis for my decision. And all of my professional experiences, including my work as a public defender and as a trial judge, have instilled in me the importance of having each litigant know that the judge in their case has heard them, whether or not their arguments prevail in court. I have dedicated my career to ensuring that the words engraved on the front of the Supreme Court building, equal justice under law, are a reality and not just an ideal. Thank you for this historic chance to join the highest court, to work with brilliant colleagues, to inspire future generations and to ensure liberty and justice for all. That's all for day one. 
Stay tuned this week for more coverage of the Jackson confirmation hearings. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to our production team. Katie Barlow, Eleanor Erskine, Angie Goh, and James Ramoser. 